Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well on what is already the last Sunday in the month of June, which means, church, we are quickly approaching the halfway point of our summer series, a study through the book of Habakkuk. And thus, as for today, we will be looking at Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 5 where we pick up right on the heels of the prophet Habakkuk's second complaint that we saw him bring before the Lord last week in chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Now, the reason why Habakkuk brought this aforementioned complaint before the Lord was because, quite honestly, Habakkuk was struggling to reconcile what he knew to be true about God. That being that God is, verse 12, everlasting, sovereign, holy, and faithful with the message that he had previously received from God. That being that God was going to use the Babylonians as the rod of judgment against the people of Judah. And this was so confounding to the prophet Habakkuk church because Babylon, they were more wicked than Judah. Therefore, for God to use wicked Babylon as the tool of judgment against the people of Judah, that would seem to contradict then and or go against then the very nature or the character of God. And thus the complaint or the accusation that the prophet Habakkuk brought before the God of the universe, it went something like this, that since you, God, are sovereign, and all-powerful and in control of everything on this earth, then it seems as though you, God, verse 14, are making mankind to be like the fish of the sea. Since Babylon is essentially, verse 15, bringing all of them up with a hook and dragging them out with his net. Because what Habakkuk was observing from the world around him, church, was that Babylon was simply using their tools, their might, and their power, verse 6, to march throughout the breadth of the earth, conquer nations, and rip captives out of their homelands, just as a fisherman would violently yank a fish out of water. All while they, Babylon, would rejoice in their own success, worship their own might, and make sacrifices to their own counterfeit gods and not to the God of the universe. And thus Habakkuk, he concludes then chapter 1 by simply asking God this question, for he writes in verse 17, is he then Babylon to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? In essence, asking God, how much longer are you going to allow wicked Babylon to ravage mankind before you stop them and bring about some justice to this wicked nation? And it is after that question, church, where the prophet Habakkuk might have realized, "Hmm, maybe I went a little too far. Maybe I was a bit reckless in my complaint because it is as if Habakkuk here decides to take a step back, to take a deep breath, and to simply be content. Chapter 2, verse 1, to take his stand at the watch post, to station himself on the tower, and to patiently wait for the Lord God to answer him, which is where we will pick up in the text this morning, church, which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this, the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live 
by his faith. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Habakkuk chapter 2. So we'll be looking at verses 2 through 5 this morning. And if you are joining us this morning and do not have a Bible, please know that is okay, for there is a Bible located in the chairs in front of you, which is our gift to you this morning, meaning we want you to keep that Bible if you do not own one. The only thing we ask if you take it is that you read it, starting today by turning to page 785 and joining us as we hear the Word of God together this morning. So again, church family, this morning we are in Habakkuk chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 2 through 5, where the prophet Habakkuk writes, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning acknowledging who you are and also trying to worship you how you want to be worshipped, Father. Lord, we know that you are steadfast, that you are a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God who only speaks the truth. Lord, you have told us when your word goes out, it does not return void. Thus, it is my prayer this morning, Father, that as your word goes out to each one of these individuals this morning, Lord, it does not come back void. Lord, that it impacts each and every one of them this morning, that it stirs their hearts, stirs their minds, and gives them a further trust in you this morning. Father, the righteous, they shall live by faith, not by the world, not by the ways of the world or the ideologies of the world, but by faith in your promises, God, that you have given to us. No matter how chaotic, how crazy everything around us seems to get, we are to rest in the promises of God. For that is the mark of the child of God, of the righteous, that we live by faith. Thus, if there's any area of our lives where we are not living by faith and living of the world, convict us of that this morning. Father, I pray for your help this morning that you send your spirit. Help my lisping, stammering tongue, I pray. Help me to settle my thoughts on your word this morning. Soften my heart and let me give this dear flock of yours exactly what they need, your word. I pray that it be truth-filled this morning, confident, because you are a God who fulfills all of his promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, everything that God says is true, 
and everything that God ordains will come to pass. Everything that God says is true, and everything that God ordains will come to pass. Verses 2 and 3. Habakkuk writes, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. So again, church, as we closed out verse 1 last week, we saw that the prophet Habakkuk was content to stand at his watch post, to station himself on the tower, and to wait for the Lord God to answer him concerning his complaint. Now, we have no idea how long the prophet Habakkuk had to wait for God to answer him. However, what we do know, church, is that no matter how long it was, Habakkuk was answered in God's perfect timing. For the prophet Habakkuk waited exactly as long as God had ordained him to wait in order for God to complete the work that he had started in Habakkuk. Nevertheless, God in his mercy did eventually end the wait and respond to the prophet Habakkuk. For God initially said to him in verse 2, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Now, do you feel the weight of that text here this morning, church? Because in essence, this is the moment that we have all been waiting for in the book of Habakkuk. For God here is about to answer the prophet Habakkuk and address his complaints. However, before he does that, God says to the prophet Habakkuk in verse 2, write the vision, a.k.a. write the revelation, as the NIV puts it, or write my answer, as the New Living Translation puts it, and verse 2, make it plain on tablets. Now, we do not know, church, if this revelation from God was to be recorded on stone tablets or recorded on clay tablets or maybe even recorded on giant wooden tablets that would have been used for public display, kind of like our billboards today. Nevertheless, what God was saying to the prophet Habakkuk here was this, record the answer that I give you. Make it clear and accurate for others to understand and write it on something that is going to be seen and accessible and ultimately preserved. So, verse 2, he may run who reads it. Now, in terms of exactly what this phrase means, there are a couple of nuanced interpretations out there. However, being that the focus of verse 2 is on plainly recording the answer that God was about to give the prophet Habakkuk, it seems to make the most sense that the idiom, so he may run who reads it, means that the content of this revelation should be recorded so clearly, so obviously, and so profoundly that whoever does read it should easily be able to understand it and go communicate it to others or as the NIV describes it, so that a person or a herald could easily grasp God's response and simply run with it and take it to others. Now, additionally, church, and please keep this at the forefront of your minds this morning as we consider the rest of this section. This revelation that Habakkuk was to record here from God It is not Habakkuk's random reflections concerning the revelation that he had received. 
nor is it Habakkuk's interpretation of the revelation that he had received, nor is it Habakkuk's opinions or feelings or thoughts about what this revelation means, but instead this revelation that Habakkuk was to record here, it is the very word of God. For no prophecy, church, was ever, ever, ever produced by the will of man, but man speaking from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21. Therefore, let it be known this morning, church, it is not the will of man that you are reading in these verses, but it is instead the breathed out word of God, inspired, infallible, inerrant, sufficient, and authoritative, and thus profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3. Therefore, because the scriptures as a whole, the book of Habakkuk as a whole, and the revelation given here in chapter 2 as a whole are produced not by the will of man, but instead are man speaking from God as they are being carried along by the Holy Spirit, the word of God must be then, church, trustworthy, it must be credible, and it must be absolutely, completely, and totally reliable. For the prophet Habakkuk writes in verse 4, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Which takes us now, church, to the why. For why did God want the prophet Habakkuk to record and to preserve the revelation that he was to give him? And the answer is, church, because we are an impatient people. Because we are a people, church, who do not do well waiting on the promises of God. Because if the promises of God don't come to us instantly, immediately, today, as in right now, then too often we begin to think that God, that he is not faithful. That God, that he is not good. And that God, that he can no longer be trusted. For that right there, church, is why the Lord says to the prophet Habakkuk in verse 2, write the vision. Record, preserve, and keep the revelation that I give you. For God is telling Habakkuk here, and the remnant of Judah for that matter, that although everything I promise in this vision, in this revelation, verse 3, will surely come, it will not take place until, verse 3, it's appointed time. Therefore, you must be patient, and verse 3, you must wait for it, all while confidently knowing, verse 3, that it will not lie, because our God, church, he is not like man, and thus he does not lie, Numbers 23. In fact, he never lies, Titus 1, because it's impossible for him to lie, Hebrews 6, since the sum of his word is nothing but the truth, Psalm 119. For if God says it, verse 3, then it will surely come to pass. For that is the confidence level that you, Christian, can have in the Word of God as your final authority above every other type of counsel offered to us in and by this Word. Because although the science around us changes daily, the philosophies around us are rewritten daily, and the biology, the anthropology, and the psychology are being redefined daily, despite all of that, church, although the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of God, it will stand forever and thus must be trusted, for it will all surely come to pass in the end. 
I read a story this week, church, about the American evangelist D.L. Moody, who in summary once told others about an experience that he once had. For he said, I once was asked by a man, Mr. Moody, what do you do with that verse in the Bible? To Mitch Moody replied, I do not do anything with it. Okay. Well, how do you understand that verse in the Bible? To which again, Moody replied, I do not understand it. And finally, he asked, well then, how do you explain that verse in the Bible? And again, Moody replied, I do not explain it. Well, then you certainly don't believe it, do you, Mr. Moody? To which Moody replied, oh yes, I believe it. Well, you don't accept anything you can't understand, do you, the man asked. Well, yes, I certainly do, said Moody, for there are lots of things I do not understand, but I believe in them. For I do not know anything about higher mathematics, but I believe in them. I do not understand astronomy, but I believe in astronomy. For a man told me a while ago that he would not believe in anything that he had seen. So I asked him if he had ever seen his own brain. For the things that men seem to grumble the most about, church, are often the very things in which Christ has set his seal upon. Therefore, when a liberal preacher declared that the story of Jonah and the whale was a myth, reporters asked Mr. Moody for his opinion of the statement, to which Moody's reply contained only four words and was telegraphed far and wide. I stand by Jonah. You see, the scriptures, church, they are not infallible and inerrant, and sufficient, and reliable, and authoritative because of the reader who reads them. For the scriptures are infallible, and inerrant, and sufficient, and reliable, and authoritative church because of the author who ultimately wrote them. Because when God speaks, he acts, and when God promises, he fulfills. For when God told Noah that he was going to bring a flood, what did he do, church? He brought a flood. For when God told Moses he was going to deliver his people from slavery, what did he do, church? He delivered his people. For when God told Abraham that he would give him a son. What did he do, church? He gave him a son, and thus when God says that he will shield you, Christian, and never leave you, guide you, Christian, and protect you, cleanse you, Christian, and help you, strengthen you, Christian, and guard you against the evil one, he means it, for he will surely do it, because the word that comes from the mouth of God, it will never return empty, for it will always accomplish all that God has proposed, and will succeed in all the things that God has willed. Therefore, as the late R.C. Sproul put it, let us be steadfast, Christian, to not only believe in God, but to also believe God, to believe in each and every one of his promises, no matter how long they may take and no matter how much the world opposes them. For our God is a God, church, who never violates his covenant, but who instead will he keep his covenants and steadfast love to a thousand generations. Therefore, be strong, take courage, and wait patiently on the Lord, Christian, for our God, he does not lie and thus is absolutely faithful to keep all of his promises. Which brings us to point number two. The righteous shall live 
by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith, verses 4 and 5. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So thus far in chapter 2, church, we have read in verse 2 that God told Habakkuk to record the revelation, the answer that he was about to give him, and to make it plain and to preserve it, and verse 3, to patiently wait for what he reveals, for it will all surely come to pass. And thus starting here in verse 4, we see God's revelation, his answer to the prophet Habakkuk. For we read in verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So God begins here in verse 4 by essentially noting that he understands exactly who these Babylonians are. That their souls are puffed up, that they are prideful, and thus are to be characterized as a wicked nation, and not, verse 4, that of being upright. Furthermore, for Babylon, verse 5, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. For as history affirms to us, church, Babylon, they were drunkards. For they were a nation that were consistently intoxicated, either literally on wine or figuratively on their own pride. And thus their greed, verse 5, was as wide as Sheol, Sheol being the Old Testament term for the grave or death. And like death, verse 5, Babylon, they never, ever, ever had enough, for they were never satisfied, never content, and never pleased with all that they had. Therefore, it was the practice of Babylon to just keep, verse 5, gathering nations for themselves and collecting people as their own since they were, in essence, arrogantly intoxicated and obsessed with defeating more and more nations, taking more and more captives, and adding more and more possessions to their kingdom. For their own king and ruler, King Nebuchadnezzar, perfectly exemplified the attitude and the mindset of the prideful nation of Babylon. Whereas in Daniel chapter 4, he says, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? For that right there, church, was the level of pride that had permeated throughout this unrighteous nation. And yet, as we see over and over again throughout the course of history, it does not matter, church, how powerful man becomes. Nor does it matter how intelligent man becomes, nor does it matter how wealthy or successful or fearsome man becomes. Because if their soul is puffed up and they are content to rely solely on their own might, then the judgment of God will fall harshly upon them. No ifs, no ends, or no buts about it. And yet, on the other hand, the God of the universe also profoundly declares to the prophet Habakkuk here in verse 4 that the righteous, they shall live by faith. That the righteous church, they shall live by faith. The Chicago Tribune reported back in 1999 
that John F. Kennedy Jr. flew his small airplane from New York City to his family home in Massachusetts for a wedding. On, the board, on board the plane were his wife, Carolyn, and her sister. However, although Kennedy was a licensed pilot, he had never received the necessary approval for instrumental flight when the pilot uses only the instrument panel to navigate the plane. Therefore, when their takeoff was delayed until after dark, Kennedy should have waited for daylight or sought a more experienced pilot to help him out. Nevertheless, Kennedy took off into the darkness and the plane never reached its destination as all three passengers were killed in a crash. Investigators determined that the crash was likely caused by disorientation from flying over open water at night without any landmarks or a visible horizon. Kennedy's lack of experience very well may have led him to trust in what he thought he was seeing as opposed to what his instrument panel was telling him. Christian, all of us face the temptation to walk according to sight instead of faith. However, faith in God is the only thing that will keep us from crashing, for God's word always keeps us on the right course as long as we believe and continue to live by faith. Now keep in mind the context here, church. The wicked in Judah... They surround the righteous, and because of that, the righteous are suffering injustice and mistreatment at the hands of the wicked. Furthermore, the entire nation of Judah is about to be judged and punished and disciplined by an unrighteous, puffed-up, evil nation in Babylon. And yet, despite all of that, church, the revelation, the answer, the encouragement that God gives to Habakkuk and to the faithful remnant of Judah is this, verse 4, that the righteous shall live by faith. Meaning, as Mark Dever puts it, God's people will hear God's promise and as with all other God's promises, they will continue to believe in them and to live accordingly. And thus, you can see here, church, that even all the way back in the Old Testament, the righteous, the true children of God are distinct from the puffed up and from the rest of the world, and that the righteous, they believe in the promises of God, they trust in the word of God, and they faithfully walk in the ways of God. And that's just as God is faithful to bring judgment to those who are puffed up and wicked and not upright, so too is God faithful to vindicate those who believe in his promises, to preserve those who trust in his word, and to ultimately deliver those whom he declares as righteous. Therefore, church, my question to you this morning is this. If the righteous, if the true children of God live by faith, are you then living by faith this morning, trusting in the promises of God, walking in the ways of God, and faithfully keeping the commandments of God? Or are you instead this morning living for self, trusting in the promises of this world, walking in the ways of this world, and faithfully following the ideologies of this world? Now, if you don't know how to answer that question, then let me share with you something that I read recently that should help for it goes something like this, that if you profess to be a Christian and yet have not experienced any type of pushback from the world concerning the way you live your life, concerning the things you believe, and concerning the stances you now take, then the reality is you probably are still part of the world and not that of a Christian. 
And the reason why that statement resonates so well at this current time is because the righteous, the children of God, they live their lives courageously and fearlessly and nobly by faith, following exactly what the word of God says, no matter the opposition, the hostility, or the resistance that may come their way because they are fully convinced that what God says is true and that what God promises will ultimately come to pass. Therefore, as we close this morning, church, I will begin with the non-Christian who is here first. However, make no mistake this morning, church, this part of the sermon, it isn't just for the individual who came in here today who already knows that they aren't a Christian because this part of the sermon this morning is also for the individual who thinks they are a Christian, who tells others that they are a Christian, and who might even check the Christian box when they fill out a questionnaire, but who do not live by faith. In essence, this part of the message is for the individual who knows that they aren't of Christian and the individual who comes here each and every day, hears the gospel preached, and then leaves here and lives a worldly, puffed-up life just like the Babylonians. For I'm putting it out there this morning like that, church, so bluntly and candidly and so directly because honestly, I really do love you. And I want this text to grab you. I want it to convict you because I don't want you to end up like the Babylonians, puffed up, not right, and ultimately condemned to hell forever. Because the righteous, they live by faith. For they live by faith in the Son of God who loved them and who gave himself up for them and not by the ways of the world. For they live by faith in Jesus Christ, in the God-man, in the one who came into this world as truly God and as truly man to save sinners from their sin by humbling himself, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and by living the life here on earth, non-Christian, that we could never live. Meaning Jesus Christ, he came into this world and he kept every law, every precept, and every commandment that God has ever given to man, and he did it non-Christian without any sin. For Jesus Christ, literally non-Christian, kept the entire law of God perfectly, and he did it for the children of God. However, the work of Jesus Christ, non-Christian, it did not end there. And I say that because Jesus Christ also paid the price for our breaking of the law. Meaning Jesus Christ also willingly bore the wrath that we deserve for our sins. For in our place, he, Jesus Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and was nailed to an old rugged cross at Calvary and died a sinner's death as our very substitute. I mean, just Think about that for a second, non-Christian. The perfect, sinless, spotless Son of God willingly died in our place as our very substitute. And yet through it all, non-Christian, being that Jesus Christ was a perfect and sinless and spotless sacrifice, sin and death, they had no power over him. 
and thus couldn't keep the Savior of the world dead and bound to the grave. And thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin, and he destroyed death, and now offers eternal life to everyone who puts their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin. Let today be the day that you turn from your sin, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And today will be the day, I promise you, that you are declared righteous and can walk out of here this morning confident and assured and at peace, living by faith in the eternal, never-ending, always and forever promises of God. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you place your faith in Christ. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, as we look this morning at verses 4 and 5, we saw a significant disparity or dichotomy, if you will, between that of the unrighteous, Babylon, and that of the righteous. For in the text, we initially saw that the unrighteous, that they are, verse 4, puffed up, meaning prideful, and verse 5 are drunkards and arrogant and greedy individuals who never had enough. And what really stuck out to me in reading that text, church, was that although Babylon were the superpower of the world at the time, and that although Babylon were taking over nation after nation, capturing captive after captive, and gathering more and more possessions, it still says in verse 5 that despite all their power, despite all their pride, all their might, and all their worldly possessions, that they were still never at rest, and like death, they never had enough. That in essence, despite possessing all the vanity that this world has to offer, it never truly satisfied them, and it never was enough to offer them peace. Which is the same conclusion that King Solomon, the richest king of the earth, during his time came to as well. For he said, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, Ecclesiastes 2. In short, everything that is from this fallen world church, it is vanity of vanities, for all is vanity. Therefore, in our times of trials, Christian, in our seasons of suffering, in our periods of pain, do not be tempted to run after the vanity of this world in order to find some kind of satisfaction or peace. For the world, Christian, it simply cannot offer it. For I can promise you, Christian, making more money, it will not satisfy you. Gaining more power, it will not appease you. And receiving the praises of the world, it will not please you. Therefore, do not play the part of the fool this morning, Christian, and hunger for power when you can feast on the bread of life, or thirst for pride when you can be satisfied with living water, or follow the ways of the wicked when you can be guided by the light of the world, or listen to 
wolves in sheep's clothing when you can hear the words of the good shepherd of Jesus Christ. Therefore, no matter what trials you are facing in the here and now, Christian, let me plead with you this morning, do not run to the world in search of satisfaction or peace. For it is a trap that wants to snare you, a cage that wants to catch you, a decoy that wants to trick you, and a pill of poison that wants to kill you. But instead, Christian, be content to live by faith in Jesus Christ, in the one who loved us and who gave his life for us. For let us strengthen every fiber of our beings, Christian, in our eternal Savior this morning, so that when those seasons of suffering do come, when those times of trials do come, when those periods of pain do come, that we be so deeply grounded in the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love that Jesus Christ has for us, that we don't even think about chasing the vanity of this world, because we are instead already completely fulfilled in the joy, the peace, the satisfaction, and in the fullness of God, in the one who has eternally declared us righteous Christian, by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body be steadfast to live by faith. Lord, there are so many people out there right now who call themselves Christians and yet who live just like the world. Or churches who call themselves churches and yet believe just like the world. Father, I plead with you, let us not get swept up by this deception. For you have told us, Lord, clearly in the scriptures that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. For it is a stumbling block to the Jews, it is foolishness to the Greek. Therefore, if our lives and our beliefs and our stances are accepted by the world, then shame on us. For we are not walking by faith, but we are walking by the ways of the world. And thus, in the midst of any opposition we may face in the here and now, Father, let us remember that you are faithful, not only to judge the wicked, but also to vindicate the righteous. And thus, although the mountains, they may depart, and the hills, they may be removed, your steadfast love, God, it will never depart from your children, and your covenant of peace, it will never be removed. Thus, let us be bold to believe in you, God, and steadfast in trusting each and every one of your promises until the day that Jesus Christ comes again and our faith is eternally turned into sight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to cling to you, to each and every one of your promises. As one who has been declared righteous as a child of the Most High God, let us continue to walk faithfully, to endure for your sake, no matter what comes our way. Father, let us not fall into trap that thinks those who persecute and who hate and who are evil and have control of this world and so forth, that they will not be judged, that they will not be held accountable for their actions. Father, every sin that takes place we know will be judged. And you can either face that judge or you can trust in Jesus Christ and the one who bore the punishment for you. 
and us. We cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, the propitiation for our sins, our substitutionary atonement, the one who has clothed us then in his righteousness and given us the grace needed so that we can walk boldly now in the light by faith. Help us, Lord, to continue to persevere no matter what takes place around us. By faith, for the righteous, they shall live by faith. To you be the glory forever. Amen. Please stand as we close in singing. Uh,